What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? This is Mike. Welcome to episode 35 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. We've got an interesting show lined up for you. We're bringing in segments that we've never really done before. It's going to be a little different for the show. Um, In that we'll be talking about Madden ratings for the first time, and we're going to kick off a top five, top five series. So that's a fun change up. But before any of that, we're going to get into off the top. And because it's Dave's turn to introduce the topic, I may as well pass the ball to him, right? I think that would probably make the most sense. Uh, All right. So off the top, NFL season's almost here, folks. I am very excited about it. I know Mike is as well. One thing that we, I would say, like to do, it's a mixed bag uh, on this show, is come up with uh, bold predictions. In case you're new to the show, because all of our bold predictions tend to not actually work out, we also like to include a reasonable prediction, which is something that would actually reasonably happen and typically does, just to make ourselves feel better. So, for off the top, I want Mike to give me one bold and one reasonable prediction for the NFL season. And I would also like to say, I did not come up with this until like right before we started recording. So I have not thought about this either. I know it, believe whatever you will, but I have not thought about it. So Mike, off the top, give me a bold prediction and a reasonable prediction for the season. Shoot, man. Um, I'm not playing games. I guess not. Uh, Bold prediction. There will be a new MVP this year. A first-time winner. And his name will be Joe Burrow. Well, that is bold. Okay. Reasonable (laughs) prediction. Joe Burrow will not win MVP. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, sorry. That's not allowed. I'm I'm going one of two here. (laughs) I'm okay. going to be right. I'm, I'm cheating the system. Uh, okay, if I can't do that, you know what? I am going to give myself a, a 31 out of 32 chance here and say the Rams will not repeat as Super Bowl champions. Okay, that is pretty reasonable. All right, so you have Joe Burrow to win the MVP as your bold prediction. The Rams to not repeat as Super Bowl champions as your reasonable prediction. I like that. Well, <clears throat> I don't agree with the Joe Burrow one, but hey, you're supposed to be bold. <laughs> I mean, at, at the time we're recording this, Joe Burrow still has not done any work in training camp after getting an appendectomy, and he's just been riding around on a cart. Did you see that video of him of where these guys were doing suicides, and he was just uh, <laughs> driving the cart along with them and then turning it around and then driving it back? I was like, yes, I mean, I get being there for your teammates, but also I kind of feel like that's disrespectful. <laughs> like now I will say, yeah, what you just said, right? He, uh, he hasn't done any workouts this summer last year. I feel like we were like, eh, I don't know about Joe Burrow. I don't know about the Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow hasn't been looking good in training camp. Jamar chase dropping balls everywhere. And then they came out and shocked the world and went to the Super Bowl. So I don't trust this anymore. <laughs> Why not, man? Fair enough. All right. So my bold prediction 
I really want to say a non-quarterback will win the MVP, but after Cooper Cup's season last year and him not winning MVP, I don't think that's ever going to happen again, basically, unless maybe a running back breaks Eric Dickerson's single-season rushing yard record. Um, I mean, we saw how good Derrick Henry was a few seasons ago. They didn't go to him. My bold prediction for this NFL season is that Kyle Pitts and Drake London will combine for 2,000 yards, or I'll say at least 2,000 yards and at least 15 touchdowns. You said 2,000 yards and 15 touchdowns. Yeah. I'm going big. I know Mariota is the one throwing passes. Maybe Ritter will will play some. Who knows? I just think, considering who else we have on offense, those two are going to be featured and featured often. And who knows? Maybe we'll see Rookie of the Year, Drake London, and Kyle Pitts ascend to that like top three tight end status and my reasonable prediction is that the Bengals will not make it back to the Super Bowl Kyle Pitts and Drake London combining for 15 uh Kyle Pitts is gonna have to get like six more touchdowns to more or less carry his share compared to what he did this year I mean we'll have a new guy throwing it to him I don't know if Mariota is better for that than Ryan but Considering how good he was, I just view that as an anomaly. Uh, yeah. I think touchdown regression is a real thing, both positive regression and negative regression. So I think he's definitely going to score, especially with how good he's looked in training camp. I would not be surprised. I think the 2,000 yards is almost tougher. To, I think actually either of them are tough, but the combination of that really makes it bold, I think. And I mean, to be fair to you, like what other weapons is Mariota going to throw it to? Frank Darby. Yeah, it's it's not <clears throat> it's not looking too good in the the skill positions there. I was going to say, as opposed to all the Falcons areas where it is looking all that great. But yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think anytime you like say something positive about the Falcons preseason, that does count as a bold prediction. <laughs> So, no, I, I am not complaining here. But there you have it. Our um, bold and reasonable predictions for the NFL season without actually putting a lot of thought into it. So share with us on our social media at Mike and Dave Pod your bold and reasonable predictions for the 2022 NFL season. And unlike us, feel free to put as much thought into that one as you want. Just post it before the season starts. And when we come back, we're going to get into our Madden 23 ratings review and pointing out some things that stood out. So stick around. All right. So Madden 23 is coming out soon. And they recently released all of their player ratings, which is always a big deal every year. And before you, uh, before you turn the podcast off, first of all, what are you thinking? Second of all, you might be thinking like, Oh, well, I don't really play Madden, so this isn't for me. This is going to be probably just as much of a NFL talk as a Madden talk, if not more. We're not really 
going to focus on like the mechanics of the game or anything. This is more about like the ratings as they relate to other players and things we, like that. Yeah, we don't want to start raging if we start talking about the mechanics <laughs> of the game. <laughs> it's broken. So we're each going to talk about some things that stood out to us uh, with these uh, ratings being released. But Dave, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? What's something that stood out to you with these ratings? <clears throat> All right. So we've each prepared a few of these. I'm going to start with talking about the overall team ratings. So Madden has individual player ratings. And then they also have a rating for your the entire team. At the top is the Buccaneers at 92. And then the next best is the Buffalo Bills at 89. Then it goes Rams 88, Packers 88. Then there are 87s, 86s, blah, blah, blah. Worst team in the league is the Texans at 74, Giants 75, Seahawks 76. So the thing that stood out to me is the fact that they think the Buccaneers are just in a tier of their own, pretty much, looking at their overall rating. If they're a 92 and the next team is not is only an 89 and then it's kind of all bunched up with 89, 88s, 87s, 86s, 85s, why did it, like, I understand that the Buccaneers have Tom Brady that they won a couple years ago, um, all of that. Are they really that much better than the rest of the NFL? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think it I don't think they deserve to be three points higher, like significantly higher than the second best team. I don't think they're like that much of Super Bowl favorites going into the year. Or that their roster is so much more stacked than anybody else's. Especially on a year where they didn't win the Super Bowl. Like it's it's almost like I could see that if if we're talking about like two years ago, but in a in a year where they don't even make the Super Bowl, yeah, that one's tough for me. Um, I didn't even think about that one. Um, most of mine focused on like individual ratings. Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me, someone needs to explain to me. Not so much why Miles Garrett is a 99, but why then TJ Watt is a 96. Can someone make this make sense? And like TJ Watt, reigning defensive player of the year, Three points lower. He's more versatile. He forces more fumbles. He gets more sacks. Uh, he literally broke the freaking all-time sack record last year. Like, this is recent. For for sacks in a season. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, he, he gets more tackles. He gets more tackles for a loss. I just don't get it. Like, what are they looking at where they're like, okay, all that, but Miles Garrett is better. I was, like, on, like, the stat sheet, not for Madden, right? Like, NFL stats staring at TJ Watt and Miles Garrett. And I'm like, with a freaking magnifying glass, like I'm Sherlock Holmes trying to figure out this case. Like, I don't get it. So help me. So according to Madden, I <clears throat> I also had this as one of mine. He's not even a top 10 player in the NFL. Which baffles me uh that doesn't make any That's sense disrespectful that is very disrespectful like you have to go if you're on the madden ratings you have to click to the second page <laughs> to get to him like that should not be the case for the rating nfl defensive player of the year and a guy where it wasn't just one fluke season 
This is a guy who's been dominant ever since he came into the league. So, yeah, that is very disrespectful. All right, another thing that I uh, saw, it's been well documented how much I love Javante Williams. I really wanted the Falcons to draft him. We passed on him. He ended up going to the Broncos. Had a very good rookie season. Probably did not get the ball quite as much as I would have wanted uh, because of the presence of Melvin Gordon. Well, sadly, the Broncos re-signed Melvin Gordon and recently announced that there's going to be a timeshare running back by committee uh, with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, which made me very sad because I'm just like, just let Javante do his thing and continue to humiliate defenders. So in the Madden ratings, Javante Williams is an 82, which I feel like that's not unreasonable after his rookie season. He didn't have, uh, you know, he didn't have that feature role. So he, he, he wasn't like super up there in terms of yards or touchdowns or anything, but just the eye test, the film said, this is a stud, right? Somehow they have put Melvin Gordon at an 83 while Javante Williams is an 82. Now, maybe a couple years ago, I could see it that Melvin Gordon would be higher, but that's disrespectful to my guy, Javante Williams. If you put on the tape, there is no way that you can tell me at this stage of their careers, Melvin Gordon should be rated higher than Javante Williams. I mean, in my opinion, it shouldn't even be a timeshare or running back by committee. They should just give it to Javante. Why are you spending money on Melvin Gordon? If anything, it should just be as the backup. Not that he's a bad player, but like Javante is that dude. I noticed that one too. Uh, I noticed something different about running backs. Um, like, I'll just say like, okay, Javante Williams, 82. I, th- I also thought he should have been higher than Melvin Gordon. Uh, James Conner, 81. Tony Pollard, 81. Devin Singletary, 81. I don't know what I was expecting Antonio Gibson to be, but it was probably higher than them. Antonio Gibson came in with an 80. I guess I was expecting just like, I look at these relatively more than I do like in terms of numeric absolutes. In other words, an 80 doesn't mean anything unless you look at who's an 81 and who's a 79. I would have had Antonio Gibson a little bit higher. It seemed like the Melvin Gordon one especially, though, was more about name recognition than it was about game recognition. And another area I saw that, I'm just going to jump to my next one. I know it's the Falcons and all. And I'm trying not to be a homer about this, but A.J. Terrell kind of quietly had one of the best seasons for cornerbacks last year. In ter- like Not in terms of interceptions, but in terms of lockdown coverage. He allowed the fewest yards in coverage in the NFL uh, with 200. Uh, when Jalen Ramsey led the league in that category the year before, it was with 309. And before that, it was Richard Sherman with 227. A.J. Terrell was balling, and they named him the 10th best corner. No, that's disrespectful. They gave him an 89. He deserves a 90 at least. Like for that season, I'm sorry he's not snatching balls like Trayvon Diggs, but come on. I agree on AJ Terrell. I'm actually surprised that they put him as high as they did, not because he didn't deserve it, but because, I mean, the Falcons don't get any love um, on Madden. Uh, And I mean, for good reason, a lot of the time, but like AJ Terrell, like you said, maybe they, they docked him because, he doesn't travel like some of these other corners do, but 
in my opinion, after his year last year, I always give him the 90 rating. Like, don't give him an 89. That's sad. So my next one, Jamar Chase, one of the best rookie wide receiver seasons we have seen. Not surprising. Uh, If you were listening to our predictions and our uh, NFL preview last year, you would have heard me say Jamar Chase is that dude. He should be like, he should be the first wide receiver taken, get him for your fantasy team, all this stuff. I was all on that Jamar Chase hype train. And uh, yeah, he is one of the best receivers in the NFL already and has the potential to be the best. This man is an 87 overall, which doesn't sound that bad until you compare it to all these other receivers. He is tied for the 18th best receiver in this year's game. Absolutely not. That That is disrespectful. He had a couple of games of over 200 yards. Just got whatever he wanted. Was key in the Bengals reaching the Super Bowl out of nowhere. And you're telling me he's below guys like DJ Moore and Michael Thomas, who hasn't even played in like two years. Are you kidding me? Like, I just don't understand how they can watch last season and not make Jamar Chase at least a 90. Or like Amari Cooper should be below him. Keenan Allen, who I do respect, definitely should be below him after last season. Like DeAndre Hopkins at a 96. Like, sure, D-Hop is one of the best, but last season was not that great, and he's going to be suspended for most of this next season because of performance-enhancing drugs. Like, in my opinion, Jamar Chase had a way better season than DeAndre Hopkins. That's not even my opinion. That's a fact. And it's I understand it's not all based on one season, right? But, like, looking at Jamar Chase, nothing about it screams fluke. Nothing about it seems like, oh, he just came his rookie season and, and dominated the NFL, but he's not going to do that again. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. And I wasn't even planning on talking about this until later, but this just kind of goes into my next point, which is they're just hating on all these young players. Like, all these rookies or second-year players who have had breakout seasons, they're like, nah, we need to see more out of them before we put them up higher. Like Rayshon Slater, right? One of the best left tackles in the league, regardless, like just one of the one of the best left tackles in the league last year. They put him at an 84, way below a bunch of these other tackles. That's not cool. And then like Kyle Pitts, one of the best tight end seasons of all time as a rookie, 87. Where, I mean, TJ Hawkinson, I I think he's a good player, but like Kyle Pitts should be above him. Amon Ross St. Brown. This dude was balling for the Lions last season as their only good receiver. He's a 78? Like, you cannot put Robbie Anderson above this man. Like, that makes no sense. And then... Coming from my- a fantasy owner, I can attest to the fact that Robbie Anderson was trash, Okay. He was so bad last year. Like he couldn't catch a ball if it hit him in the hands. And he's a receiver. It it just makes and no it sense. Did. Exactly. And it did. 
my last example is Micah Parsons, 88 overall. You think, oh, that actually sounds pretty good. But like, he was one of the best players in the NFL last season as a rookie. Complete game breaker. In my opinion, again, that has to be at least a 90 overall. You have to put him up there among the best linebackers in the game. And for whatever reason, it seems like they're just really stingy. And they're like, you know what? It was only one season. But with all these young guys, I don't see it being a situation where like, oh, they have now, like he dominated, but they're going to figure him out. So like Jamar Chase isn't just going to moss this guy or run right past him because he's faster than him. Like, I'm sorry, he's still going to keep balling out. Like it doesn't make any sense to me why they won't just go ahead and give these guys their props after they've had an amazing rookie rookie year when being a rookie is probably the hardest thing in the NFL to do because you're coming from college and it's such a big step up and you're playing against professionals. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to read this note that I had on topic of Jamar Chase. Well, first I wrote, are we sure that there are 14 receivers that are better than Debo Samuel? And then I kept scrolling and I was like, wait, are we sure there are like 18 receivers better than Jamar Chase? I'm not. In fact, I'm sure there aren't. Yeah, I was looking at both of those receivers. I mean, Debo Samuel was an 89. After the season he had, I would have given him a 90 plus as well. Uh, the dual threat of all dual threats. Um, this one sounds meaner than I mean it to be. Um, Christian McCaffrey got an injury rating of 86, which means if you're playing with him, he's relatively unlikely to get hurt. Whereas we know if you own him in fantasy, he is relatively likely to get hurt. I mean, just... Okay. Last season had 17 games. Season before, 16. 33 games total. He played 10 of them. Okay. Now, point of reference, we on this podcast talk about Dalvin Cook and his injury history a decent amount, but he's only missed eight regular season games in the last three seasons combined, and he has an 84 injury rating. I'm befuddled. (laughs) He's more... Literally, he plays more than Christian McCaffrey. How is his injury rating lower? Yeah, that that is kind of a weird one to me that they didn't put that a little bit lower. But I feel like with Madden, like the, the injuries are probably just like scripted anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, speaking of running backs, while we're talking about that, Jonathan Taylor is a ninety-five, which fair enough. McCaffrey's ninety-six, and then Derrick Henry's ninety-seven. Oh, wait, sorry, and I missed one. Nick Chubb is also a 96. So I love Nick Chubb. Don't get me wrong. I think Nick Chubb is a beast. Can we realistically put him above Jonathan Taylor after the season that Taylor had last year? No. Like, again, Nick Chubb is great. He has never come close to having a type of season like Taylor had. So I don't understand how you can put him ahead of him uh, because of that. It just doesn't make sense to me. And also McCaffrey, like we know how great he is. It's been two seasons where we've barely seen anything of him. I feel like you got to knock him a little bit. You can't put him as the second best running back in the league when he's barely played. It's like Michael Thomas. Like sure. Michael Thomas had an amazing season, like 2019. He hasn't really played since then. 
how can you put him at a 90 over like somebody like Jamar Chase or somebody like Debo Samuel who just had amazing seasons are young and we're going to keep ascending. That just confuses me. You know what? This seems like a good enough time to say this in case you're unaware. Madden constantly updates their ratings throughout the season. They'll do these updates that just automatically download on your system. And you'll be like, Oh, uh, Christian McCaffrey just went up two points and they announced those ratings too. I feel like what's the harm in like coming out like the, the game releases and Christian McCaffrey's like a 91 or something. Right. And then you give him the opportunity if he's balling and if he's healthy, he will be, he balls out for two straight weeks and you go, okay, well, there's the 96. We were just waiting for you to, or we were just waiting to see it. We see it. We respect it. Here you go. Same thing with Michael Thomas and do it in reverse order. Like make Jamar chase a 93. And if he fizzles out, if it was a fluke, then you can adjust accordingly, but it won't be. Also, can we adjust and not, not you and me, but can like Madden adjust the way that it like figures out the overall rating when it comes to kickers, because Justin Tucker is at the top of the list at a 90 and I feel like in terms of like relativism, that just doesn't add up. Like the, the best kicker, Justin Tucker, one of the best ever, if not the best, like we go back to our all-time fantasy draft, is 90. And then, just to go down the list, Harrison Butker is next to 84. Then Evan McPherson, 83. Chris Boswell, 82. Young Way Koo, 82. And and Koo is what started this for me. I was like, oh, I wonder what Young Way Koo is, because that's what it's like to be a Falcons fan. Um, but I was like, 82, no, that's disrespectful, but I feel like kickers should have their own, like overall, like scale in the, in terms of how that works. Cause it works for all the other positions, like quarterbacks. It accounts for the fact that they're not going to be that fast. Look at Tom Brady. He's a 97. His speed's probably like 50. Like, I mean, I haven't looked at Tom Brady's speed, but you, you get the idea. It accounts for that. But with the kickers, it's like, no, we're not going to care that much about kick power or kick accuracy. So Justin Tucker, <clears throat> I had this on my list as well. Justin Tucker has 99 kick power and 99 kick accuracy and is a 90 overall. Tell me how that makes sense. When literally the only, really realistically, the only thing that you're going to have him do is kick the ball. <laughs> Like, sure, maybe maybe you'll do some sort of like trick play or whatever. I know that they put awareness in the game, which it's just kind of a catch all for whatever. Um, but and that his is a seventy seven, which is still like higher than any of the other kickers. But I'm just like, does that drag him down? Does this man have to have like? like 70 throw power and accuracy for your trick plays in order to be a 99. Like he's the most accurate kicker in NFL history. And what lack of awareness are you attributing to Justin Tucker? He watches the ball get snapped placed and he kicks it, which I will say they did. uh, They did give Justin Tucker one particular stat, which I found to be questionable at best. I looked at this yesterday they gave justin tucker a 68 spectacular catch rating 
can someone explain to me like why did I miss a, like a trick play where he ended up like mossing somebody or like diving and making a fingertip one-handed grab and that's why he has a 68 spectacular catch rating maybe it's I mean maybe it's a typo I I would hope not but like he I mean he also has 27 catch in traffic and like 22 short route running, which is better than most of these other kickers on this list. I don't, I don't know. Did I, I seriously, like somebody tell me why did they give Justin Tucker a 68 spectacular catch rating? And then still he's only a 90 overall. If there is some video of Justin Tucker making some crazy catch, I too have missed it. But kickers should be able to be ranked more highly than that. It's stupid. Um, we had to talk about quarterbacks eventually, right? All right. Here are the top five quarterbacks. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Seems straightforward. Any problems? No, I didn't think so. All right, moving on. Pause the podcast real quick, and when you do, think about who the sixth best quarterback is in the NFL. Okay, did you think of him? Was it Dak Prescott? If you're not a Cowboys fan, I doubt that it was. But according to Madden, Dak Prescott is better than Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, and Derek Carr. No. To those seven guys that I just mentioned, that's disrespectful. First of all, I don't necessarily agree with the top five quarterbacks. I think Joe Burrow might be a little high. Uh for me, particularly, I think the, the top four are definitely set in stone. I would probably go with Justin Herbert at number five. Uh, I think when I was considering my bold prediction during off the top, I was like, should I say that Justin Herbert's going to win MVP? Uh, so that's like my secondary bold prediction, I guess. But yeah, Dak, Dak Prescott has, sure, like he is a very good quarterback. Do not get me wrong. Top 10, maybe. But like Stafford won the Super Bowl last year and balled out. I don't think you can put Dak above him. Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. Like, no way. Lamar Jackson. I mean, if you're if you're saying like who would you rather have? Joe like Dak Prescott or Justin Herbert? Prescott or Lamar? Prescott or Russ? Prescott or or Stafford? Like, I'm I want all of those guys rather than Dak Prescott. Like, it's as simple as that. I'm not going to get into the Deshaun Watson thing. Kyler Murray, that's where I start to be like, um, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like he's definitely more in that 84, 85 range, rather than the 89 that he is. I feel like that's fair. Um, And then Derek Carr. I'm interested to see what Derek Carr does this year. But if we take out Derek Carr, Kyler Murray, and Deshaun Watson, but say, like you said, the rest of those guys we'd rather have against uh, above Dak Prescott. That would put Dak at 10, not six. Like, let's calm it down there. Speaking of quarterbacks, I was interested that Desmond Ritter is the highest rated rookie quarterback. I was expecting it to be Kenny Pickett, but we had Desmond Ritter at 70, followed by Malik Willis, 69, Kenny Pickett, 68, Matt Coral, 68, and Sam Howell at 67, all of which are higher <laughs> Then poor 66 overall Drew Locke. 
I, I understand that if Drew Locke is your team's starting quarterback, you're probably looking at the next draft. But I think on principle, if Desmond Ritter is a 70, I would also have Drew Locke a 70. I wouldn't. <laughs> I think Drew Locke's trash. Um, all right, moving on to my last point. Just out of curiosity, let me look at the lowest rated players and see who is the lowest rated player on this year's game. Much to my surprise, I found a bunch of 25 and 26 overall players. And I was like, how can you be a 25 overall? Like, that seems like it's not even possible. And they're all listed as tight end, right? I'm like, this is confusing. I did a bit of research. They're all long snappers. Madden doesn't recognize long snapper as a position for some reason. So they just list them all as a tight end and like a 25 overall tight end at that. Madden, can you just get your shit together and just make long snapper a position and just rate them accordingly based on those, like based on those stats? Don't like, I know long snapping is like a whole other thing, right? But you can't tell me that this guy is like a 25 overall. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And he's on a tight end. He's a long snapper, so why is he listed as a tight end? It's just really confusing to me. And there's like a bunch of these guys. There's like 20 of them on here. Uh, Even more than that, actually. It's more like 25 or so. 25 to 30 of them that are like all like in the 36 to 25 range. Yeah, I was watching a video that the uh, Falcons put on their Instagram, and it was like, you know, they're, I mean, every team does this, but it was the players reacting to their player ratings. And when Young Way Koo came out, he was like less concerned with his rating than he was the long snapper posi- uh, rating. And he was just like, Madden, can y'all make this position? Yeah, I completely agree. Like, it makes no sense why they would. Oh, I didn't even see that. I was just like, oh, I was like, you can't get this guy at 25 if he like does his job the exact right way every single time. You know what I mean? I know it's it's not the most glamorous position in the NFL, but it's still like an important role. Yeah, like at a certain level, it's like they made it to the NFL. You know, like that's worth something. Like th- this guy... It's like, oh, I'm on Madden, finally. Like, I made it to the NFL. And then it looks at his rating, it's a 34. Like, you can't even, like, tell your friends about it or share that on social media because it's just so sad. Like, oh, I'm, I've been looking forward to using myself on Madden. The guy literally, like, can't even run. You better go to the edit player screen. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I'm a 99. and on that note I think that's going to conclude our Madden 23 ratings review Uh, let us know what you thought about our hot takes which were mostly just saying how Madden's disrespecting all these guys that's got to be the longest that's disrespectful segment that we've had that wasn't even we weren't even intending it to be but it just kind of turned into that which is amazing so uh, thanks for listening to that Uh, when we come back we're going to get into listing out our top five NBA centers of all time. So make sure you stick around for that. It's time to get into our 
top five segment for episode 35. And like Mike mentioned in the intro, we're starting a little mini series of top fives. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that a lot of times Mike has been like, oh, I don't know if he would be in my top five all-time point guards or not. Like someday I'm going to make that list. Well, that's what we're doing. We're doing point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, and our top five all-time lists for each one. Uh, We decided to start with center for episode 35 because of Bill Russell's uh, passing recently. Uh, So to honor him, we decided to go ahead and start with the big men. So this isn't going to work quite like our normal top fives do. Typically, we do a top five every episode that ends in five or zero, I guess, or every fifth episode is a way easier way to say that. But for this, it would take us basically a whole year to get through our top five top fives. So we're going to just kind of sporadically do it over the course of the next few months, uh, just depending on where we might have a little extra time in an episode where we can go ahead and and share our top five power forwards, small forwards, etc. So you won't really know uh, when we're going to be sharing that. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, But this episode, we're going to be doing centers. So Mike, who is your number five center of all time? Before we get started with our lists, we are going to go back and forth, five, five, four, four, et cetera. Um, I do want to make this, uh, I don't know if disclaimer is the right word, a sort of qualifier, if you will. And I'll probably make this same statement all five times that we do this. But when I'm looking at the top five players of all time, I basically looked at like three sort of qualities, I guess. Uh, one, the player's individual stats slash accolades. You know, how well that player, like what kind of awards did this player get? What, where does he stand on all-time statistical lists? Uh, number two, the player's contribution to team success. So this isn't just about how many rings a player might have, but also like how big of a factor was he in getting that ring? For example, Paul Pierce and Kendrick Perkins both have one championship, but Paul Pierce's contribution is much greater than Kendrick Perkins. Uh, and number three is the good old fashioned eye test. Uh, at a certain level, you have to watch the film and you'll see like the difference between like player quality right so those are my like three metrics by which i'm considering my top five at each position and i say all that just to get ahead of the whole oh how do you justify this person above this person and so on and so forth well this is how okay so at number five i have hakeem the dream elijah Wan. uh you may know him from his uh signature move the dream shake now fun Fun little fact about Hakeem Olajuwon is he was the first overall draft pick of 1984, taken right ahead of Michael Jordan. So it's weird to be like a top five center all time and still not be like the best pick of that draft, but whatever. If you remember the Bulls being on their tear of three-peats, there were two years between those three-peats. Those two years, the Rockets won the championship led by Hakeem Olajuwon. This is a player that could, and I think we'll see this a lot, especially with the centers, but this is a player that could get it all done on both sides of the ball. We've got nine-time all-defense, 
a 12-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA. Half of those were NBA first team. Uh, he was able to win MVP in 94, as well as Defensive Player of the Year. He's he's one of only three players to ever do that in the same year, along with Jordan and Giannis. Uh, he's the all-time career blocks leader. The asterisk that belongs there, of course, is that they didn't the NBA didn't start like counting blocks as an official stat until 1973, after the prime of Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, but it is what it is. Uh, 14th in rebounds. Uh, this is just a uh, dominant figure uh, out West. He would have won more championships if he weren't in an era where Jordan was running around dominating everything. But as it stands, Hakeem Olajuwon is my fifth best center of all time. Well, and so it begins. Uh, he Hakeem is also my number five. Uh, <clears throat> I think the four guys ahead of him just in their own individual ways kind of stood out a little bit more, but that's not to uh, diminish anything that Hakeem uh, accomplished in his career. A couple of other interesting t- uh, tidbits for him. Uh, he was the first non-American born player to play in the all-star game, win MVP uh, and win defensive player of the year. So uh, obviously now we have <clears throat> a lot of, uh, non-American players, uh, whether that's Europe, uh, Africa, South America, uh, the the game of basketball has really expanded a lot, um, you know, today. But he was kind of the first guy to, um, to kind of pioneer that, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, also, one of four NBA players in history to record a quadruple double, um, which is a fun fact too. And yeah, the thing with the blocks, like. Yeah, there has to be like that asterisk, but also like no one's ever going to break that record. 3,830 is just absolutely ridiculous, uh, averaging over three blocks a game for his career. So, yeah, I mean, he's a defensive legend, one of the uh, all-time best defensive players. So uh, he had to be in my top five, but just coming in a little bit below some of the other guys. What's interesting about that is he does edge out Dikembe Mutombo, who's the guy that we tend to think of as like the the big time shot blocker from that era, you know, the finger wag and all. And I don't know if it's just because Hakeem was so much better on offense that they were like, well, let's give Dikembe the defense. But Elijah Wan statistically was the better shot blocker, un- unless you want to argue that Mutombo was more likely to meet you at the rim. But Elijah Wan wasn't exactly afraid of that conflict either, so. Just interesting there. Um, since I went first on five, why don't you go first on four? Who do you got at your uh, four, number four spot? Ah, this one was tough. I was really between two guys for this. I ended up going with Shaq, one of the most dominant players of all time, especially he's got to be the most physically dominant player, in my opinion to ever play basketball, uh, four time NBA champion, only won MVP once, uh, but 15 time all-star, uh, rookie of the year. And he even made, um, all defensive second team three times. Uh, <clears throat> obviously so much success with the Lakers, but even like with the magic when he was just starting out, uh, just one of the most recognizable and just all time players in the NBA, um, and of course, even beyond that, uh, 
his impact on inside the NBA as a broadcaster, just his influence overall, I think has done wonders for the game of basketball as well. So Shaq comes in at number four for me. Spoiler alert. I also have Shaq in my top five, (laughs) but I don't have him at number four. So when I get to him, I'll just add what I have to add there. I mean, we haven't talked about our lists before now, so I don't know, but I'm fairly confident we'll have the same top five on this one. It, I feel like the centers seem pretty like cut and dry. Uh, it's just a matter of ordering the top four, right? Um, but yeah, uh, for me, ordering two, three, and four was really difficult, and I can hear arguments for any any uh, ordering of them. But at number four, RIP, I have Bill Russell at number four. Um. Of course, we know the 11 championships. Good Lord. Talk about records that will never be broken. I mean, unless like someone gets really lucky and just like ends up on the right team like every year, right? Like that one's not happening. But the thing about Russell was it wasn't just that he was on the right team. He was the right team. <laughs> like Bill Russell was like a force all to himself. And while he's remembered for his defense, rightfully so, he's one of the best, if not the best defensive players ever, it's not like he was inept on offense. Um, he could pass the ball. He was interested in doing so. Uh, he could score. But what what he said about his own game was that he was more interested in team success, and what he found to be most effective was focusing on the defense so the offense could run through uh, – other players on that team, like Heinsohn, like Bob Cousy. Um, and that's what led to um, all that team success. I mean, he was right. 11 championships inside of like 13 years, separated only by the St. Louis Hawks in 1958 and uh, the Philadelphia 76ers in 67. Now, sad, but f- I don't know if this counts as a fun fact because it hurts in multiple ways. But Russell was actually drafted by the St. Louis Hawks in 56. And then we traded him. Well, no, the St. Louis Hawks traded him because the St. Because St. Louis was racist. I mean, they'll give like more official stories, but the basic idea was we drafted or we traded him for uh, Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagen, two white dudes, because people were afraid of how Russell would have been received in 1950s St. Louis, Missouri, which is really messed up. Uh, but you, then you look at like, oh, well, look at what the Celtics became as a result of having Russell. And then it's like, I wish I could have convinced 1950s Missouri to not be full of awful people so that we could have had Bill Russell in the uh, championships that followed. But <clears throat> I think... The last thing I have to say about Russell before I kick it to you, spoiler, I'm going to talk about Wilt Chamberlain later, but I don't think there's a bigger like testament, aside from the 11 rings, to Russell's success than the fact that Wilt Chamberlain, for all his dominance, ended his career with two championships, one of which he earned after Russell retired. Like Bill Russell looked at Wilt Chamberlain and limited him to one ring in like 13 years, give or take. Yeah, Russell was the ultimate winner, and he comes in at my number three spot. Uh, Everything that you said, uh, 
I mean, he's yes, he was not the best, most dominant player on offense, which is why he kind of <clears throat> well, it's why he didn't make the, my top two. But I mean, the eleven championships, like especially well, eleven championships is what is one thing. Eleven championships in thirteen years is a whole other thing that is just absolutely ridiculous to think about. I mean, those 11 championships, him and Henri Richard of the NHL are tied for the record for most championships won uh, in like the top four sports leagues uh, in North America. And I really don't think, like you said, I don't think that will be broken anytime soon. Uh, I mean, as a leader as well, like you said, he was a team first guy and we need more of that. In the NBA, we need more people like Bill Russell. I mean, obviously players like Bill Russell would be great too, but even just people like Bill Russell in the NBA. So yeah, Bill Russell, I mean, one of the icons of the game. Uh, It's sad to not be able to see him at next year's all-star game where they all, where they bring out all of the, uh, you know, grizzled old vets. And he was always the, one of the ones that stood out of like, whoa, that's, that's Bill Russell. Like, I think that's one of the the marks of a true icon and a true legend. And he will definitely be missed for sure. Absolutely. And to turn around and go to my number three player that you talked about, so I don't really have a ton to add, but Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, so the four-time champion, part of that three-peat with Kobe uh, going from 2000 to 2002. And I think this is saying something when you're playing on a team with Kobe freaking Bryant, albeit Shaq was more into his prime than Kobe at the time, but Kobe was finals MVP all three of those years while sharing the court with Kobe. So that's crazy. Um, and then, of course, winning that uh, that championship with Dwayne Wade in 2006. The thing about Shaq is if we have younger listeners, some might be inclined to remember Shaq for like the... Uh, the slow aging mammoth that appeared on like the Suns, the Celtics, the Cavs, you know, just wasn't a fun time. It's like that goofy guy that falls down a lot and can't shoot free throws. What y'all may be forgetting is that he was like before the Suns, he was a smooth running imposing force that couldn't shoot free throws. <laughs> now he wasn't near Bill Russell on the defensive end, but Bill Russell was nowhere near him on the offensive end. And this is a guy that in his prime that could run the floor, um, make the right passes, but then also get the ball on the low block and back you into oblivion and dunk on you. But Shaq is just one of those all time matchup nightmares where it's like, it's kind of amazing that he didn't just score every time. It's like, you know, how do you contain him? He said himself, like, God made me bad at free throw shooting so the world would have a chance or something like that. <laughs> um, top tier basketball player, top tier entertainer. <laughs> so shout out to Shaq on that one. So that brings me to number two, Wilt Chamberlain. I mentioned he was coming. Now, I just said all that about Shaq. Picture Shaq, but better. Like that's, that's Will Chamberlain in a nutshell. Um, 
Now, he wasn't as large in terms of like weight on the scale, but this is one of the most physically gifted, not just basketball players, athletes in the history of mankind. Like legend was he could bench 600 pounds. He was an Olympic qualifier in track and field. Uh, this man was like doing the 440 at like a nationally competitive rate. And he's seven foot one. He once beat um, Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown in a foot race. Again, he's seven one for goodness sake. And he's doing this lifting too. Uh, he was also a champion at the shot put in track and field. So that's a testament to his uh, strength and coordination. Um, I wish so bad that the NBA was recording blocks at this point, man. I would have loved to know, like compared to, Hakeem Olajuwon that we talked about earlier, how many blocks Wilt Chamberlain had because you weren't shooting over him. I have like a whole page full of fun Chamberlain stats. Um, so I'm just going to pick a few all time leader in uh, career rebounds. Um, he led the league 11 freaking times in rebounding. That one's not getting touched. Spoiler alert for the fourth time this episode. All of these Wilt Chamberlain records that I'm about to say are never being broken. It's not happening. I don't care who you are. It's not happening. 50.2 points a game over the season in 1962, and he followed it up with 45 the next season. Not not being touched. Um, NBA record for most minutes per game at 45.8. An NBA game is 48 minutes. Now, in a... <laughs> In, I think this was 1962. That was his like crazy year. He averaged 48 and a half minutes per game in a sport where the games are 48 minutes long. So that's factoring in overtime. He played all but eight possible minutes that season, which comes down to an average of six seconds of rest per game for the season. He gets, he gets taken out immediately. Put me back in coach. I'm ready. <laughs> right. I have my one sip of Gatorade. I'm called him. <laughs> I didn't even mention yet the hundred point game in 1962. And and here's one more fun one, and then I'll pass it to you. Oh, sorry, two more. One, for as great of a defender as he was, he never fouled out of a game in his whole career. He averaged like two fouls a game. So it's not just that he's like jumping around, going ballistic. He's disciplined too. In at the end of the 66 to 67 season, he was criticized for just being someone that scores and rebounds. And so legend is he heard that, and that's what motivated him to do this. The next season, he led the league in total assists. Sorry, one more. I can't stop. He's the only player in history to record a... You mentioned a quadruple double earlier with Hakeem Olajuwon. He's the only player to record a double quadruple, which is 40-plus in two categories, and he did it freaking eight times. Well, Wilt Chamberlain's also my number two, and I don't really have too much else to add because he kept stealing, Michael kept stealing all of my freaking tidbits. I was like, well, he hasn't mentioned the NBA assist leader where he was like, screw you guys. I'm going to lead the league in assists because I can. And then he said it. And I was like, okay, well, fine. I have like nothing else left. I mean, I love how you just kind of... I was too excited. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I love how you just kind of like skipped over 
I mean, that skipped over, but just briefly mentioned the 100-point game. <laughs> like, let me just go back to that for a split second. <laughs> that picture of him holding that the piece of paper with 100 on it, that's got to be up there with, like, the top, like, five sports images of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the the idea of someone scoring 100 points in a game is almost unfathomable. I know that a couple of players have gotten, quote, close, unquote, uh, <clears throat> Kobe and Devin Booker. Uh, but, like, even then, they were not like, really anywhere close to to getting 100. And that's just, I mean, that's just one game for his career. <clears throat> I don't know if you mentioned this, actually. He averaged 30 points and 23 rebounds a game. And 4.4 assists, because why not? It's literally like a one-man wrecking crew who just did everything. Like you said, defensively, he was he was amazing too. So overall, I mean, if, if Bill Russell wasn't a thing and the Celtics weren't a thing, we would probably be talking about Wilt Chamberlain as the greatest player of all time. But because of Bill Russell... He just doesn't have the championships to stack up to uh, like Jordan. Um, but I mean, he's like right up there um, in terms of just the best players that have ever played the game. And just a, a funny story real quick to speak to his strength. Uh, this came from a uh, Bob Lanier, who is uh, a hall of fame post player in his own right uh, that played against Wilt Chamberlain. This man was like seven foot two fifty. He uh, once got moved out of position by Wilt Chamberlain, and he said after the game, yeah, he picked me up and moved me like a coffee cup to get to position. Just to just to tell you, like, this, no, this guy is, you think Shaq is imposing? Wilt Chamberlain, like, looks like he's in better, or, well, looked, RIP also, uh, looked like he was in better shape because he was so, like, slim, but he was deceptively strong. Number one's got to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, the all-time NBA scoring leader. I feel like I could just stop there. I won't. Um, one of the... <clears throat> I mean, we were just talking about Will Chamberlain, and I have him above him, so he's got to be pretty good, right? I mean, six-time NBA champion, uh, freaking 19-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA team, 10 of those were All-NBA first team which is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, of course, he won Rookie of the Year. Um, averaged a little over 24 points per game, 11 rebounds. I mean, he played until age 42. At that time, he was the NBA's all-time leader in points, games played, minutes, field goals made, field, field goal attempts, block shots, rebounds, and wins. I didn't even mention the, the skyhook, which is arguably the most iconic move like nba move of all time uh, i saw something the other day about like what's the most iconic nba move of all time and there were there were a few like decent contenders the dream shake was was one of them uh, the finger roll by george gervin was one dirk's uh one-legged fadeaway but kareem's got to be like he just kind of <clears throat> he invented that and rode that all the way to <laughs> being number one all time in uh, in points scored uh, so yeah, so obviously one of the best players of all time, in my opinion, the, the best center 
combined uh, both longevity with just consistency. Um, and then, of course, he's got those six rings to go along with it. Yeah, the um, the NBA was in a weird spot in the 70s um, where it was like starting to lose interest, which is weird. Like this is where Kareem was at his most dominant. Like his peak was basically the 70s uh, winning six. He won six MVPs between, I think, 71 and 80. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Now, I was watching a a video about Kareem. And it was talking about this uh, like drop of interest even during Kareem's domination, and he made the guy made a point that reminded me of like Tim Duncan in a way, where, um, who in case you're wondering, we're classifying as a power forward. So if you guys are sitting at home like, have they not mentioned Tim? We'll get to him in a later episode. Calm down. But anyway, they mentioned, or the guy mentioned. Kareem and his skyhook and it was basically like Kareem was far and away the best player for the whole 70s it just wasn't exciting in the sense that like yes the hook shot is one of the most efficient and iconic if not the most of all time but it's not flashy it's not exciting you don't ooh and ah at it it's just up there it goes again kind of like the way Duncan would operate on the block and just hit that bank shot uh you might compare it like uh, if you see a, a guy throw a um, throw an apple in the air and then like cut it with a sword on the way down. You might like record that with your phone, right? And be like, oh, that's exciting. But it's not quite as efficient as just one of those little metal apple slicers that you keep in your drawer in the kitchen, right? No one's going to record that, but I'd rather use that to cut my apple, right? The idea being like, Kareem, despite not having all the glitz and glamour of like a superstar, like exciting player like Jordan, is so efficient, so effective, so consistently phenomenal that like the the juxtaposition of that like bored the NBA. And this is was so much the case that when he came into the uh, league and when he came into college, leagues were concerned about long-term success for the NBA just due to a lack of parity. I mean, in his three-year career at UCLA, he won the championship all three years and lost a total of two games because no one could stop him. The league made it illegal to dunk for 10 years, and they called it the Lou Alcindor rule because just no one could stop him. Like, this all speaks to just the dominant force that Kareem was. And I guess the last point about this is like we talked about Will and how dominant he was. And I think it's hard to hear all that and then say, well, how's someone better? And this might be a decent way to look at it. Bill Russell kept getting in Wilt's way, even if Wilt looks better on the eye test or whatever. Um, And for pretty much any star you can think of in NBA history, there's something of a rival as a contemporary, right? Or at least someone that you have to overcome. Uh, Jordan competed with Magic and Larry, and LeBron has competed with Durant and Kobe and so on, right? But in the 70s, it was Kareem. And I can't think of a player that has dominated an era like that. Yeah, that is a really interesting point about him not having his counterpart or his like nemesis. He was just too good for the league when he was in, when he was in the league. So uh, Kareem's are 
number one. And I believe the only difference that we had was you had Shaq number three and Bill Russell four, and I had Switch, so I had Bill Russell three and Shaq four. But pretty much the same list. I can almost guarantee that the rest of the uh, the rankings for each position are going to have a little bit more variety. So look forward to those. But yeah, the centers, it definitely, I think it made sense for us to start with those because of that. And also, uh, like I said before about Bill Russell and him passing away recently. Yeah, and I said this earlier, but the the top five centers just do seem very much like it's these guys, and then here are the top four, order them. Uh, I I imagine the rest of them will fluctuate plenty. And and like always, we haven't heard each other's. It just happened to work out that way with the centers. That's going to wrap it up for the first top five in our little mini-series. When we come back, We'll do the hot seat, the fun fact, and close out the show. All right, the time has come to put somebody on the hot seat for this episode. And while there has been some serious stuff going down, and you might be thinking, "Uh uh-oh, it's about to get intense. Don't worry, this one's a little more fun than that. Dave, tell them what we've got this week. So this video came out the other day of... Now Brooklyn Net Royce O'Neal back, backing his mom down uh, on a basketball court. I believe it was a camp that he was holding and uh, ends up unleashing this like half spin move. His mom just falls to the court like a sack of potatoes, breaks her ankles and he just stands there for a second and looks, takes a little bit, decides to go ahead and make the layup and then go and check on his mom to see if she's okay. This man is a savage. It was too funny. Uh, he had, I had to put him on the hot seat this week. That was, that was too much. That was too funny when I saw the video and we'll post the video on our social at Mike and Dave pod. But we had to talk. How do you not? That's too funny. I mean, also, yeah, of course you make the layup first. Like, well, I'm hey. I'm I'm thinking of Stephen Adams. I can't remember who it was, but Mason Plumley. Oh yeah, where he like caught Mason Plumley in the air after they had this uh, collision, and he was about to fall, and they ended up like losing possession or whatever. Like Stephen Adams. I think this just confirms Steven Adams is a nicer guy than Royce O'Neal. Um, or maybe like Royce O'Neal just has that New York mentality now. I don't know. Um, you know, it's something about the O'Neals. Like you have Shaquille O'Neal backing down NBA players and scoring in the post. And you have Royce O'Neal doing the same thing, but to his mom. Like, But while the O'Neals back into the post, we're going to back into the end of our episode. With Dave's fun fact. What do we got this time? We've got a good one, folks. I know every episode is a good one, but this one especially. I'm going to give a shout out to my sister Elizabeth, who I guarantee will not be listening to this uh, because she could care less about sports. But 
She gave me a... Or us, apparently. Yeah, or us. Exactly. I'm your twin brother, and this is how you repay me. Regardless, this was not like... She didn't give this to go on the podcast. She was just telling me, and I couldn't believe it because I have always misunderstood this my entire life. So, if you're looking at your like weather app on your phone or watching the weather channel or whatever, and it says 30% chance of rain, it does not mean that there's a 30% chance of it raining. It means that there's a chance that it's going to rain in 30% of that area. I just took that pause while your minds were just blown. I, like like I mentioned before, I went my whole life not understanding the difference, but now it like makes a whole lot more sense where I'm like, oh, they said it's only like, they said it's like a 70% chance of rain, but it's not raining here. That means that it's just raining somewhere else, but it's not raining in my particular, like where my house is or whatever. So I just felt very enlightened and wanted to share with you all in case you like me were uh, misinterpreting that. Not to be that guy. I've waited 30 episodes. Say this. I knew that one. Finally. Finally. Every time. I kick it over to you for Dave's fun fact. I'm I'm sitting here in my chair like, is it going to be the one? Am I going to know this one? And I'm always like, nope. Oh, cool. I, I learned something today. Like, okay. I started with, I don't want to be that guy, but I will add, I have known that for, for less than a year. So like I, I have only recently learned that. So it's not, so I'm not trying to be like, oh, how'd you not know that? But I do think that is like, a really useful fun fact because I mean, think about like you gave the example of 30%. I feel like a lot of people, cause I do think this isn't like super well known. Um, I feel like a lot of people will see that 30% and go, Oh, like it's not going to rain, but like based on like your air, like the size of your area, you know, like you could still very well encounter that rain, especially if you plan on like going out and about, you know, like let's say you're trying to plan a trip to the park or something. Like, if if it's a big park in a small area, like, you'll probably see rain there. Or, like, decent chance. We're out here saving saving picnics, one fun fact at a time. The Mike and Dave podcast. We save picnics. Just no other context <clears throat> whatsoever. And on that note, it's probably time to wrap up this one. Uh, <clears throat> as we've mentioned before, you can follow us on social media at Mike and Dave Pod. Um, as well as if you aren't already subscribe to us on Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts or Google podcasts. Um, we appreciate all of those who have already subscribed and make sure that you leave us a five-star review or rating as well. We appreciate that. It'll potentially help this podcast get out to more people, which will save a whole lot of more picnics. So why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, a PSA like like the one that we have just given out is only as effective as the as the size of the audience that it reaches. Help us help you and help us help others. This is your good deed for the day. 
That's what we do on the Mike and Dave podcast. We save picnics and we go berserk about the Madden ratings. This is the kind of content you will only hear on this particular show. But again, we thank you all for listening. And next episode, we will be doing, it's a big one. We'll be doing our NFL preseason tier list because the NFL season's coming up and it's going to be less than a month from now. So very excited about that and excited to record that tier list for you guys and share that. Yep, and that episode will be coming out on August 26th, so mark your calendars. But until then, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.